Hey, if you listen to this podcast week after week, then you will absolutely love my books. There's Travel Light, which basically gives you all of the steps for following your heart. And then there's Knowing Where to Look, which is full of inspirational stories and anecdotes that will help you shift your perspective in the most inspiring way. And for those of you who can't seem to crack the meditation code, grab a copy of Bliss More, How to Succeed in Meditation Without Really Trying, and your meditation practice will never be the same. All of those books are available on Amazon, as well as everywhere else books are sold. That's Travel Light, Knowing Where to Look, and Bliss More. All right, back to the show. I'm the type of person that would tighten my belt before I ask for help. But I still kept going. You know, there's a picture of me in 2016 leading a march of 500 people in Jamaica because mm. of two unsolved murders by people in our community. Everybody jumps in the marches when police do it, but we very rarely march when we do it to ourselves. And so led that march. But a lot of people don't know that night I had no place to go home to. I slept in JFK Park all that night. Never forget it. So when I look at that picture, it just shows me how far I came. Hey there, it's Light Watkins. Welcome back to the podcast. Hey, did you know that you can watch these podcast interviews on my YouTube channel? Because I know for me, sometimes it's nice to put a face or a voice to a story. So just keep that in mind in case you're the same and you would prefer to watch an interview instead of listening to it. I post every podcast episode on my YouTube channel, which you can find by just searching Light Watkins Podcast. And I also post the raw, unedited version of every podcast in my Happiness Insiders online community. So if you're the type of person that likes to hear all the mistakes and the false starts and the little chit chat in the beginning and the end of every episode, then you can listen to all of that by joining my online community at thehappinessinsiders.com. And not only will you have access to the unedited versions of the podcast, but you'll also have access to my 108-day meditation challenge, and there is a new 108-day movement challenge. Okay, so this week, we've got another very, very inspiring guest on the show to tell their story. His name is Kevin Element Livingston. I find my guests in all sorts of ways, and I try to introduce you all to luminaries who you probably haven't heard of before. People who are doing the good work to leave the world better than they found it. A lot of times under the radar. And I actually found Kevin on Instagram. I follow an account called Humans of New York, which I'm sure you've probably heard of. The guy who started it, Brandon Stanton, started taking photos of New Yorkers and he would ask them questions about their life. And then he would post it on social media. And it's become this huge platform with millions and millions of views. Well, one man that he featured recently was Kevin Element Livingston. And when I read Kevin's story in the caption of the Instagram post, I actually choked up a little bit. And I just knew that I had to have him on the podcast to go a little bit deeper. So long story short, Kevin grew up in New York and he was working as a bank teller. When someone that he was following on Facebook posted a photo of a young man walking around with his pants hanging down from his butt, and the caption was something about, why don't these kids pull up their pants? And Kevin took offense to that post, but instead of getting into her comments and going back and forth with her in the comments, Kevin decided to be the change that he wanted to see in the streets. And so he went up to his bank manager and he asked if it would be okay to put a box in the lobby of the bank 
to get the customers coming in and out of the bank to donate their suits and then to redistribute the suits to the young men in the community who had likely never even had a suit before to give them a sense of hope and a sense that they could inspire to more than just being a part of a gang or something. And so that led to New York One picking up the story and then it went viral and Kevin ended up having hundreds of suits in his apartment. And then Kevin had a stint where he was actually homeless for a little while, but he kept the initiative going. And so today he's got a board of directors. He's got a team of volunteers. He's got outposts set up in, in some of the Brooklyn DA's offices. So when people get released from prison, Kevin and his team can suit them up, give them a haircut, give them some mental health resources and help them get back on their feet. It's a really incredible story. Very inspiring. Kevin's been featured on the Steve Harvey show. He's been on Hot 97 in New York and he's inspired millions of other people to do what they, whatever they can do to be the change that they want to see, which is what this podcast is really all about. And so without further ado, I'm really excited to introduce you to Kevin Element Livingston and to hear his backstory and how he created this organization called 100 Suits. Kevin, thank you so much for joining the podcast. I'm super excited to have you on. You and I have not met in person before, so this will be a lot of fun just kind of digging into your your backstory. I have done a decent amount of research, although there's not a lot about you online. I don't know if that's on purpose or, or <laughs> what that's about. You got a few um, clips, obviously, and you know the highlight reel is online, but I couldn't find a whole lot about the depths of your backstory. So hopefully we can get into uh-huh. some of that in this conversation. So you grew up in Jamaica, Queens? Born and raised. Just talk a little bit about your household that you were born into. You've mentioned your dad before, Henry Clayton, in an interview, but were your parents together? Did you have siblings? Like, What was the vibe like in your household growing up? No, my parents weren't together, but my hero dad was always there, accompanied by my hero mother. Many people don't even think I have a mother because I, <laughs> I always talk so much about my father. But, you know, I lost my father, you know, suddenly. So I grew up in South Jamaica. I had a great family household. You know, my dad would always be by there. It was me and my brother and my sister lived in Maryland, you know, who's my best friend. We didn't have much. You know, my mom worked. My dad was an entrepreneur. He's always been an entrepreneur. He started an exterminator business. And my mother's always been in the community. She used to always host like Halloween parties for kids in the community and always actively involved in PTAs and things of that nature. So what I do now, the business and the community aspect is really a testament to both of them. My mother was always community. My father was always business. It is, I'm just marriable for them. Their words. Did your parents have any philosophies when you were growing up? My dad was an entrepreneur too. And he always used to say, you need to own your own business. You know, obviously you got to work hard. You got to work twice as hard because uh-huh. you're black and blah, blah, blah. Did your, what, what do you remember most from your childhood growing up? I mean, my father used to always make me come into the travel agency when I was 50. I never forget it, you know, when he started his, his travel agency because he had a, mm-hmm. and at one point he was the largest black owned travel agency in the city in regards to the sales. He would have me get dressed up in a suit and all this other stuff to go in the back of the travel agency and stamp brochures. You know, it's always pissed me off. I would make $25 on Saturdays to do that. 
but he, he taught me how you have to look the part, but still get back there and, and stamp Dusty Hasbro shows. But he taught me a lot. You know, just see my father, like a lot of things my father do, I do now. I can't go nowhere without my to-do list, you know. And I used to always wonder why he always had to scrabble to-do list, you know, and having to entertain people's personalities every five minutes. People always call him. Like I literally am like a splitting representation of my father in regards to that aspect with the busyness. What kind of student were you? Were you uh Horrible. Straight A. (laughs) Absolutely horrible. I was kicked out of high school in ninth grade. Really? Absolutely horrible. And and I still have my report cards. I never went to class and I was a class clown. You know, I I was the type of person to be in the classroom and throwing spitballs at the teacher or at the blackboard in the classroom. Me and my buddy Tamane, who we're still friends with to this day, we were just absolutely horrible. I remember in middle school, I was suspended the last day of school. I cursed out the assistant principal at the last day. I got suspended the last day. I was really bad at school. So you were a knucklehead. Yeah, I was on everybody's do not promote, a promotion and doubtless. I was on every single one of them. We always see Kevin Livingston's name minted to the top. So none of your teachers really thought much of you and where you no. were going in your life. They probably assumed no. you'd be in jail or something at some no. point. No, because I, I, I wasn't like a tough guy. I was just a clown. You know, so I don't think they would think I was in jail, but, you know, I didn't think, you know, because I was I was a typical statistic. You know, I I had two kids before the age of 20. I was 17 when I got kicked out of school. So, you know, I went to a GED school and that didn't work out. (laughs) And then I went and worked for a little bit and then I went back and got my GED. Did that create a rift between you and your parents when you got kicked out? No, no. My mother was always on my neck, but I moved out when I was 18 years old. I was a waiter in a restaurant. But um, my mother was always on my neck. And my father, you know, he's the type of person, like, you're a man, you're on your ass, you know, do what you got to do. But he know that I didn't get kicked out because I was not smart. I had ADHD. Like, to this day, you know, if I sit down for more than five minutes, I'm ready to, like, start swinging from the chandeliers. I always got to be actively involved. So these are things that happened with me in my younger years. That was undiagnosed, obviously. Nobody knew about ADHD back then? No, not really. But I was a clown. Like, I just like to have fun. You know, I would never go to class. And, you know, typical high school thing. But the thing is, is that when it was one class in school, in high school that I went to, that I got a A minus. It was a business course. I forgot which one it was. But, oh, introduction to business, one of those two. And I aced that class. And I was a part of a club. It was called Future Business Leaders of America. Bad as I was mm-hmm. in school, I still got my transcript from high school. Like all 46 is average. I joined this club and I wound up becoming the president, this, the vice president of that club. And I went and I competed in a tournament. They had a tournament in Rochester, New York. You had an impromptu speaking tournament where they give you a topic and you had to speak on it. And I wound up placing second in all of New York City in that tournament in terms of impromptu speaking about what I want or whatever have you. You know, obviously that showed me that I do wanted to do something in business, but, you know, I didn't think it would be to the capacity where it's at now. What was your idea of success? What did it look like at that age in your life? I was big on Eddie Murphy boomerang, you know. Um, a lot of people don't know a lot of the, the premise of a hundred suits, the suit aspect was based off of what my father and my uncle Chuck, who are both my guardians right now, used to always dress up, 
you know, and always talking about the importance of getting dressed up. My father, when when Easter came around, he always bought us brand new bright ass suits. And, you know, you, you look good. But when I was 15 years old, I never forget buying this red blazer. It was based off the movie Boomerang with Eddie Murphy. It says 1992. Don't forget it. And I was able to buy this blazer and it matches socks. And it was a tie that goes with it. I went and I used to walk around 34th Street and just ask for jobs. At 15 years old, I never forget that because I remember how I felt in the suit. That's a story that I never forget, you know, getting on a train and walking around Manhattan. And I thought I was, you know, somebody. And then I met this guy, there's a Jewish guy named Julius Gross. He had an office in Pennsylvania Plaza and I was able to create a friendship with him. He was an older Jewish gentleman and he was just nice. You know, he, he seen me walk around. He said, I look nice. And, you know, he just sit down and we'll build a relationship and things of that nature. What did you learn from Mr. Gross? No, it's not so much I learned something from him. It was just he opened up to me like he opened his doors. He allowed me to see his office. And, you mm-hmm. know, I felt like I had a friend in Manhattan. And then I went ahead and got some of you. And then I started working at a partnership for the homeless. That was my very first job outside of my father. I was working with them in some internship in Manhattan on 27th Street. I never forget it. I used to think I had my own office because I had a desk. I never forget <laughs> that. Partnership for the homeless. Shout out to them. Do you ever have any relatives that spent time in prison or in gangs? No. Because no. I want to cut to 2010, 2011. You're working at Carver Bank. Where the office was located, and, you know, I'm surprised I give a car for that much credence. The bank I used to work at, <laughs> they <laughs> doubted me in the beginning. I'll tell you that right now. I got written up and everything else. But the area is, it was high gang involvement, a lot of issues over there with young people in general. You know, I remember having to usher a, a lady away from a razor blade fight right around the corner from where I was working at. Never forget it. I always wanted to do something, but let me just pause right there to 2011. I started doing community work in a community back in 2007. New York State's current attorney general, Letitia James, was a council member at the time. And it was a young man that was shot in the head and killed in Brooklyn. I remember going to her office to advocate with the mother about getting justice. I remember that very clearly. That was my very first piece of advocacy. Then I started doing Christmas drives every year up until 2011. Hey there, really quickly, have you wanted to find your purpose or be more grateful or start a daily meditation practice, but you're not quite sure where to begin? Well, if inner work is like a drop of water, thehappinessinsiders.com is like your ocean. That's my online community where you can learn real world techniques for cultivating more fulfillment from the inside out. So whether it's learning how to manifest abundance or access your potential or overcome fear or even just start walking every day. I've got a blueprint for you, which means you no longer have to use any more shoddy guesswork and you don't have to use the lone wolf approach to improving yourself. For a small accountability fee, you'll get community, you'll get accountability directly from me, and you'll get comprehensive instructions for getting your meditation practice off the ground. And for my podcast listeners, you'll receive 30% off of the all access pass if you go to thehappinessinsiders.com right now and use the promo code HAPPY. Again, 
thehappinessinsiders.com. Enter the promo code HAPPY and you'll get 30% off on a yearly all-access pass, which gives you access to dozens of inner work challenges and masterclasses such as my 108-day meditation challenge, which has an 80% completion rate. Plus, you get to join me live for weekly meditations on Zoom and much, much more. That's thehappinessinsiders.com. The code is HAPPY. All right, back to the episode. You read the article about the guy getting shot and then just on your own, you went to the guy's mother's place? Yeah. And I reached out and asked her if I could help. And I remember sitting at Letish James, who's now the attorney general office back in 2007, trying to advocate for his justice. It was aired on 98.7 KISS FM at the time in New York City, which was an urban radio station. That was ESPN. That was my very first piece of advocacy. What inspired you to do that? I mean, it was just tragic. I think that seeing a young person, I think he was like maybe 10 years old, getting shot and killed, it was tragic. So I just wanted to say something, do what I can or whatever I can. Again, that's my mother's side that came out. So I'm a very first piece. What was the takeaway from that? Did you come away from that experience thinking, wow, I can really make a difference if I just no, put myself out there? All. No, not at all. It wasn't even about me. I just got pissed off about what happened. Did you think it was easier than you thought it would be to make a difference or was it? No, I didn't even think about it like that. To be, realized? I didn't even think about it like that, to be honest with you. That's just the self-starter in me. Like I saw something and I went to work with what I had, you know, and I didn't have much. I didn't have nothing actually, but I saw something and I went ahead and did what I needed to do or whatever I thought I could do. So that's what happened with that. But every year I would host toy drives and give the toys to kids in women's shelters. And I still got photos on my Facebook of these events. And then I did my very first suit drive at the Sean Bell Community Center. Sean Bell was the man that was shot. He got killed, killed by the in the police. wedding. Yeah. Yeah. So I always worked with his father, William Bell. And so our very first suit drive was held at the Sean Bell Community Center, which I still have the photo, mm-hmm. where we received our very first donation of suits. No, not the very first. This, we, that was one of our drive locations. The very first was inside of Carver Bank when I asked my manager if I could put a box in the lobby and ask people to donate suits. The way the story goes, I don't know if this is still accurate but some woman was talking about guys with their pants mm-hmm. down or something and you, so you reacted I was to in, that yeah so i was in popeyes around the corner from the bank and this lady there's a, a guy before us she took a picture of him and then uploaded to facebook and began to berate him and little did i know or little did she know we were friends on facebook you know you have friends on facebook you don't know these people but you're yeah. still friends on so yeah. i saw the post and I got pissed off. Like, why would you do that? Like, you know, we have enough black men being torn down as is. Black and brown men, why would you do that? Does that make you feel good? So that's when I went and I spoke to my manager, Martin, at the time and asked him if I can put a box in the lobby and get people to donate their business attire so that I can go ahead and put a suit rack out in front of the area where there was a lot of issues at. 
if you look online, you'll see me with a suit rack on the street. That was my very first pop-up ever back in 2011. You had already kind of done this once before at the Sean Bell Center. No, it wasn't a pop-up. That was just a, a donation collection spot. But I'm saying you'd already collected suits once before no. this. So no. the Carver Bank was the first time you collected the suits. Justin Ragu, who was my assistant manager, was the very first mm-hmm. person to ever donate a suit to 100 suits. Once we started getting in, suits trickled in. That's when I reached out to Sean Bell Community Center and a barbershop in my area to be our donation drop-off locations. How was it received when you put the little flyer up and put the box out in the lobby? It caught wind because I had, at the time, he was a congressman and he was running for mayor, Anthony mm-hmm. Weiner. I don't know if you heard of Anthony Weiner before. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Yeah, yeah so he, he came by personally and donated his suits. Council member Ruben Wills, he, was, he actually created my logo in the beginning. Shout out to him. Also, New York One started covering me. They didn't cover me until... So I had to move the suits out the lobby of the bank because I got written up. Because to be getting so many suits in the box, I had to start adding them into the employees where they hang their coats up. And it was nothing but suits in there. So the manager at the time, (laughs) she wrote me up for that. But I must say that the bank was recognizing what I was doing. You know, we used to have an employee newsletter that goes out and they spotlighted that I give out suits or collecting suits or whatever have you. But I had to take the suits out. So I brought them to my room that I was renting at the time. And that's when New York One did a story on me. Cheryl Wills, who's now the anchor of New York One, came to my house and she saw that I had my room draped with suits. That was the only place I could store them because I didn't have enough money. How are you getting all this press? Were you leveraging the Letitia James PR people? No, no, that was four years before. I didn't know any of the, anything about that. New York won, quote, win because people were bringing in suits. So somebody must have told them about me, and then I got a call from Cheryl Wills. And that's how hmm. we were able to start getting press. I didn't know anything okay. about it, doing a whole press run and connecting. I didn't know anything about that. I am Kevin Livingston from South Jamaica, Queens. Didn't know anything about how to do a press <laughs> run, get my word out. None of that stuff. So you said you handed them all out on the very first day. You got the suit rack, you did your pop-up things, and you start giving out the kids on the corner. What was the reception like? I was good, man. You can, like I said, you can still see some of the photos. I would take the suits. I didn't give all of them out, but I gave out quite a few. And mm-hmm. then we took the suits and brought them to a gun buyback program. There's a video on my page. One thing about me is I could always look back at what I did when I first started because I took documented pictures and videos. I remember being pissed off because the people who were getting the suits didn't look like Black men or Hispanic men. They were middle-aged white men coming to turn in their guns that they had in their house. It wasn't the young men who needed to turn in the guns. So I remember Mm -hmm. taking the suits off the rack and bringing them across the street and leaving them on a liquor store shutter. And you can hear Mm -hmm. one of the guys like, don't trust them. (laughs) You can hear one of the guys say, don't trust them. You said some guys were selling their suits. They were getting a suit from you, and then they were going around the corner and selling it. I I did catch a guy selling his suit at the train station after we gave it to him at our first location. What did you say to him? I said nothing to him. You have to look back in that mirror. But I can't blame him. I'm not Macy's. That's what I was becoming. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? If I give you a suit, the hell else can I expect you? If I ain't helping you... With something else or mentoring you or helping you get a job or whatever I have, what can I do? 
I right. can't get mad at you. I'm not helping you. That was the beginning of me transitioning the company to do more than just give out suits. At that point, were you a one-man show? Did you have a few volunteers helping you out? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. CEO, cleaner, janitor, customer service rep, which I'm the horrible one at. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> now I'm, I'm a horrible. I'm so sorry. Stacy tell you that I'm a horrible customer service rep. But I, I was one-man show. What was the bank balance looking like at that time? When I was doing my suit drive, this gentleman by the name of Lewis came in and he loved what I was doing. And so he worked at a charity and they Mm -hmm. needed my service. So he said, hey, I got a room where you can operate your suiting and we won't charge you for the room. Just bring your suits to service our clients. And I was like, "Okay, bet. So it was right across the parking lot from my bank. So I went ahead and. I was working at the bank and on my lunch break, I run across the street, suit people, and they come back to work. And I did that for about eight months before I mm-hmm. quit. What caused you to quit? Did you get, because I know well, you I turned into a 501c3 later, but it's, it yeah, was still so just a, basically a charity so service. This is, so this is what happened in 2012. I was doing both. And then I was presented an opportunity to do a contract in the Bronx payable $5,000 people for over eight months and mm-hmm. i was like okay i can stay here make forty thousand dollars as a customer service rep i hate this job <laughs> or i can take this leap and at the time my retail manager who i was very very close with who now is a superstar nba agent which is dennis robinson who is the agent for Kawhi leonard Dennis was my boy. Like Dennis was the reason why I was at the bank, you know, and all this other stuff. It's crazy. Like people know my story. So anyway, <laughs> Dennis was leaving as well because Kawhi. I think Kawhi got drafted, and he was picking up momentum in the league. So Dennis was leaving to go to San Diego, where Kawhi is from. And so I got tired of the bank, and I said, you know what, I'm not coming back. So. I let them fire me so I can collect unemployment so I can have me something to sustain myself while I'm doing this entrepreneurial leap. And I took that $5,000 check and failed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I thought I could sustain it. You know what I mean? But I did the program. I did well, but I thought that would hold me over, you know, and it was a complete failure. I never had $5,000 in my hand at one time that blew through my fingers real, real quick. And then I, I had to get back up and move again. You ended up being homeless for a little while. And yeah, so 2015, 2016, July of 2016 to about mid August. Right. So you'd already created 100 suits for 100 men at that point. Absolutely. Yeah. What led to the homeless stint, the sleeping in your car well, stint? Well, we ran out of money from the last contract we had. Shout out to FedCap, who gave us the contract. And they did one of the most iconic things, which I still have very close with leadership there is that they did not refund me because my paperwork work. I mean, I was doing the work. My paperwork wasn't right. So mm-hmm. I would not update the things that they need. And with organizations, you have to update your pay. So long story short, they did not refund me. But the lady at the time, Marcia, who was one of my mentors, said, I respect you, but we're not going to move forward. However, I'm going to pay you one extra month. And that was a big deal because that was a game changer for me because I did not have anything. But in July, 
certain circumstances happen to family and I had no place to go. I didn't tell people I had a place to go, but I did, you know, I'm, I'm a prideful person. So I, I stayed mm-hmm. in my car for a month and a half. I drove taxi in 2016. People don't believe that. While still doing a hundred suit service, I didn't have an office at the time, but I drove taxi in 2016. You had been at it for five years at that point. So was the plan to turn that into something that could potentially support you financially as a nonprofit? No, because I didn't believe that I was going to have a business the size that I have now. Because again, mm-hmm. I'm not the type of person to be a clout chaser or hot of the moment. Let me get involved because it's cute now. Or let me get a saying on my t-shirt because it's cute and all this other bullshit. I felt like right now I needed to do something in my community and be a thorn on the sides of the politicians who sit there and ain't doing shit. And so I was one of those types that be in their face and letting them know you need to do more. This is what's happening. Why are we talking about a street bump when the kid was killed on the corner? It was one of those types. And so I garnered a lot of haters. <laughs> I remember the first time I was at a meeting, I mentioned what I was doing with 100 suits and two people snickered at me. I never forget it. I never, ever forget it. As a matter of fact, the very first person that I took when I was getting ready to start 100 Suits, it was a company called the Jamaica Bid. And I told her about what I wanted to do and if she could help me. She said, oh, I can help you get suits from the stores, whatever have you. And she said, I'm going to call you back. And I waited two weeks and she never called me back. And I called her and I said, hey, I was just following up. And she says, yeah, I'm not interested. I hung the phone up on me. It's just so ironic that I'm talking about that right now. Because the leader of Jamaica bid email me today. That's the one. Mm. If you, Stacy, <laughs> if I told you to schedule a meeting with her, so they're the ones who turned me down when I first. They're the ones who didn't believe that same company. It was just funny how God worked. Now they want to excite. <laughs> they want to meet me and everything else. <laughs> telling you, people don't well, know my story. Well, at uh, that time, were you trying to get your friends to help you, or how did they see what you were doing? Your closest friends or even your family? What did they think about what you were doing? Everybody loved what I was doing, you know, but my mother, she was working. My father was in Florida. I didn't really ask people because, again, I was a one-man show. I would ask people to pull up, whatever have you, but I literally was a one-man show for a very long time. Did you ever think about giving up at any point during those five years? I don't know. When you were- I don't know. What's that? I don't know what those words mean, bro. Like, <laughs> those make my skin itch. I just go, bro. <laughs> like, I just go. When you had to go sleep in that car park in the cell phone parking lot at JFK, that was just, you just felt like, okay, I gotta, this is what I got to do to keep everything going. Like it was all about keeping everything going. I had no place to go, you know, and I wasn't mm-hmm. telling people what I was going through, you know. And when I told my sister, you know, she was pissed with me. She was very pissed with me because she was mad that I didn't say anything, you know, as, mm-hmm. as well as my father. But, you know, I'm the type of person that would tighten my belt before I asked for help. But I still kept going. You know, there's a picture of me in 2016 leading a march of 500 people in Jamaica because mm. of two unsolved murders by people in our community. Everybody jumps in the marches when police do it, but we very rarely march when we do it to ourselves. And so led that march. But a lot of people don't know that night I had no place to go home. So I slept in JFK Park all that night. Never forget it. So when I look at that picture, it just shows me how far I came. But then I had a buddy in August who told me he had a room in his basement and I took the room, but it was still a rough road from that point. And 
you know, I didn't even have enough to buy my daughter anything for Christmas. You know what I mean? Like I bought her one of those rolling pin things, you know, that year. You know, it was a rough year. 2016 was rough, but still pursued, still did what I did with 100 suits. I had an office that was the one that was in Manhattan, but that contract ended, did not have a place to bring my suits. In the midst of me driving taxi, not under no official contract, I was able to secure a space inside of New York State Parole. And that's mm-hmm. when I opened up the office inside of parole in December. And we, we had a boutique inside of the parole where we were giving suits to guys coming out of jail. One of the young men to this day, who I met back in 2016 when he just came home, for reference, Stacy, Mr. Ortiz, is still working with us to this day. To this day. Mm-hmm. And this is back in 2016 when I met him in parole. And so we did that. You know, I did a suit drive in parole and everything else. But in February, I had got a phone call. Brooklyn's district attorney, Kenneth P. Thompson, passed away. Legendary first African-American attorney in Brooklyn. His wife wanted to give away his suits. So she called me the night before and I explained to her, I appreciate, I told her what I was going through. I don't know why. And I usually don't open up to people. And I remember telling her what I was going through. And she brought me to downtown Brooklyn. She says, I want to give you these suits. We did a press conference with the new district attorney. And she, you know, I was in this big conference room overlooking Manhattan. And she handed me an envelope. And the first envelope had $5,000 check in it. And I started mm-hmm. bawling out crying. And then she said, here's another one. Then she gave me another envelope and it had $25,000 check. And wow. I, I mean, I was, a, I was a complete mess. And to this day, LaShawn Thompson is the chair of my board of directors. We caught wind from 2017 to now. We were able to open up a chapter of 100 suits in Williston, South Carolina, which is celebrating their second year of operation. We secure contracts with Department of Corrections, New York City Crisis Management System, Department of Education. We've created well over 50 plus jobs in New York City through these contracts. We started a a food insecurity business where we were helping senior citizens a week before COVID. I had pivoted and started getting groceries for seniors. And to date, we've made over 130,000 home deliveries to senior citizens in Southeast Queens. You know, we created full-time jobs through the Cure Violence contract for men and women who were formerly justice involved. And we keep going. Can you just describe the process? Like a person has recently been paroled. You have your suit pop up in the actual DA's office, right? No. So when they're paroled or released from incarceration, we have reentry mentors who work with them. So they are contacted. We bring them in. We do an assessment. And then we plug them away with services. So I have in Jamaica, my office is in Jamaica, I have four Reentry mentors who work with men and women 25 and older who have been incarcerated. Then I have three reentry mentors who work with young men 14 to 24 who have had criminal justice involvement. That's outside of what I do with the cure violence piece. So we have a lot of hands in the justice involvement system. How does it work? Do they get a suit? They get a stylist? So suiting is just a carrot. Like literally, yeah. that's, you know, I always say that. So we, we work is that they meet with the reentry mentor. We find uh-huh. out what are their needs. Do they have job needs? Do they have families? 
right now is that we're working on a very first male baby shower. So this is going to be for men who have had justice involvement, who have children on the way. We're going to have a baby shower for them so that they can feel the love and support that they deserve. And they'll be able to take care of their families. You've also received support from some pretty big names out there. How did that Uh all come about? Steve Harvey, they emailed me. Colin Kaepernick, they reached out to me. You know, that's my brother right there. Colin's my brother. I've been rocking with Colin going on five years now. Uh, Akil Salam, which is another director. He's so random. He's a, you know, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. He's a Black Hollywood director. Mm. He noticed what I was doing. And just randomly, somebody called me and said, hey, is your address at X, Y, and Z? I said, yes. And they just said, okay, thank you. And I went back to my office three days later. It was a check for $10,000 there. And me and him has constantly stayed in contact. Jill Scott shared our stuff. Zane, (laughs) the author Zane shared our stuff. One of the pinnacle moments of my life happened this past February 3rd on my birthday when I was asked to meet with the president of the United States. So I was able to meet with Joe Biden and talk about the work and what we do in gun violence prevention. So from being a high school dropout, ninth grade, kicked out, chastised, laughed at when you started your business to being invited by the White House to meet with the president of the United States. That right there is something that I, and I wore my father's pen, my father's favorite pen. He always wore his hat, I had it on my suit jacket. What would you say if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, well, man, I've always wanted to help the community in some way. What words of wisdom would you impart on that young person? Three words. Move your ass. Start now. <laughs> that's a fact. Start now. Like it ain't no uh, Buddha, Zen, none of that. Brother, just get on it. You know what I mean? Start now. Motion creates emotion. Vice versa. Kevin, how are you thinking about success these days? When I see somebody that we're helping, turn around and help somebody else. Beautiful. Well, look, man, I appreciate you hopping on and making the time and sharing your story. And it sounds like we got we got a few nuggets in there that you don't talk about a whole lot, which I'm always happy to have. So hopefully at one point I'll get a chance to cross paths with you and uh, dap you up in person and uh, appreciate you, man. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for tuning in to my interview with Kevin Element Livingston. To get more information on Kevin's work, you should follow him at... 100 suits that's the number 100 and then the word suits with an s and to contribute to his mission there's a paypal link set up on his social media of course we'll put those links in the show notes which you can find at lightwatkins.com and while you're there you can also search my past episodes by subject matter in case you want to see other episodes about people who've taken leaps of faith or people who had to overcome financial challenges or health challenges. And you can get a list of all of those episodes on a specific subject matter so that you can listen to whatever you're interested in. Also, if you're feeling inspired by these stories and you want to make sure that this podcast continues to stick around for a while, the best way to support that mission is to leave a rating or a review in the Apple Podcast app, which you can do really quickly If you're listening to this right now in the Apple Podcast app, just glance down at your phone, go to the name of the podcast, click on it, 
and then you're going to scroll down past the previous episodes. There's probably only six or seven previous episodes before you get to the five blank stars. And all you do is tap the star on the far right and you left a rating. And if you want to go the extra mile, write a couple lines about what you like about the podcast. And that way you've left a review. Thank you so much for that. And otherwise, I look forward to hopefully seeing you back here next week for the next story from the end of the tunnel. Until then, keep trusting your intuition, keep following your heart, and keep taking those leaps of faith. And if no one's told you recently that they believe in you, I believe in you. Thank you so much and have a great day. If you want to get a little extra nudge when it comes to following your heart and taking leaps of faith and believing in yourself each day, then you want to sign up for my free daily dose of inspiration email. You'll join 30,000 other subscribers who receive a short inspirational story or anecdote that's meant to inspire you to become the best version of yourself each day. You can sign up at lightwatkins.com and you'll get your first inspirational message as early as tomorrow. Again, Just go to lightwatkins.com. You can sign up for free and you'll wake up each morning inspired to be the best version of yourself.